Hi, I'm Will Schwalbe, and this is But That's Another Story. I have a great friend named Jean Guy. He speaks a dozen languages, has lived all over the world, and is interested in everything. But he doesn't always pay close attention to what's going on around him. I'll never forget one day when we were sitting around drinking scotch and watching television. I couldn't find anything that interested me, so I kept using the remote to change the channel. I went from golf to Masterpiece Theater, to Law & Order SVU, to a cartoon, back to golf, then to a talk show. At that moment, Jean-Guy bolted up from the sofa. This is the most confusing television program I've ever watched, he said. Jean-Guy hadn't seen me changing the channel. He thought it was all one show. And yet, maybe there was a kind of genius to the way Jean-Guy viewed my frenetic channel hopping. And maybe you can apply the same kind of thinking to your lifetime of reading books. You could say you've read hundreds or even thousands of individual books, or you could choose to think of all of those titles as chapters in one big book you've been reading all your life. If you start to look at your reading that way, even if only for a moment, you may start to see connections you wouldn't have otherwise seen. And so, today, we wanted to bring you some of the lessons we've learned from our guests so far, to take a look at some of the common themes that have emerged from such a diverse group of people with a wide range of different experiences. More than anything else, one of the clearest takeaways from making this show is how reading catches a hold of so many of us early in our lives. Were you a, a reader as a little kid? As a little kid, that's all I did. All I did was read, and I read everything. I was that kid growing up who would get in trouble because he would stay up with the flashlight under his sheets at night reading books. That was me. You may remember Min Jin Lee, author of Pachinko, and NPR's Sam Sanders. They appeared back in our first two episodes this winter, but the importance of books from childhood is something that's come up over and over and over again. I got my first Babysitter's Club book when I was eight years old. I was in the third grade. The Scholastic Book Fair came to town. The Scholastic Book Fair is an amazing thing. I don't know if they still have them, but they would send you home with these brochures. And I remember seeing a book that said Babysitter's Club, and I thought, I want that. And so I get to the book fair. I beeline for the number eight title in that series. It was a book called Boy Crazy Stacy. I loved the girls in that book because they were friends and they did cool things. Like they went on adventures together and they lived in a faraway place called Connecticut, which a little girl from Louisiana wouldn't know anything about. They were a main staple of my childhood. My mom says she didn't ever think that I would ever give up the babysitters. And, you know, I haven't actually ever given them up. I still know the names of every character uh, in that series. Uh, and I still have each and every Babysitter's Club book that I have ever owned. As a child, I remember Roald Dahl absolutely being obsessed with Roald Dahl to the, you know, the point of like staying up late and like sneaking a light into my room and just, you know, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe his writing. I think he helped me through some childhood moments by, by magic where when you feel powerless or you feel like things are bad, that you can escape. I 
I think for me, I was this kid living a pretty sheltered life in a pretty quiet part of the country. And if I could read about people doing really interesting stuff, I wanted to. Like, I wanted to read about the folks that were living adventurous lives that still felt attainable and real, you know? So adults doing adult things. I was really into that. There's nothing like reading. There's nothing to me that that makes the brain function in such a creative way. When I pick up a book and read it, things it's it's like your brain is working out or something and all of the characters in the story become so three-dimensional in your mind, but they also become so tangible and I think you feel like they're right with you. That was academic Brittany Cooper, comedian Maeve Higgins, Sam Sanders, and podcast host Nigel Poor. The other thing that's come up about childhood reading is that often the impact is lifelong. For Louise Penny, best-selling author of the Armand Gamache Mysteries, reading Charlotte's Web eased her terrible spider phobia and helped her through the pain of her parents' divorce. If reading could lift that fear, maybe it could help heal other fears. And, in, and it did. It helped one by one. A lot of my fears, not all of them, but a lot of them fell away. Or at least if they didn't actually fall away, reading gave me a map through life, a way to navigate humanity. For so many of us, books have a way of providing comfort in difficult moments. They're where we go to seek out answers to life's unanswerable questions in our darkest moments. Had I not had books, I would have been sitting in my room alone ruminating. But I was able to pick up these books and find friendship and find a community that, that I wouldn't normally have. They were, yeah, they, they were friends. And I don't, you know, I, don't, I know that can sound kind of cliche, or, but it, it was for a lonely confused, frightened, and angry child to have an island that was, were my books, what goes beyond meaningful. It's like a bizarre thing to confess to you, but when I was really little, I used to always pray for wisdom. And I, this could come back to this whole idea of feeling like the dumb one in the family. I always like thought, if I could be a wise person, not necessarily clever or quick, but if I could be wise, that's what I really wanted. When we come back from the break, we'll dive into more of the shared experiences that our guests have had reading the books that have changed their lives. Time and time again, we've learned that when you dive into a really, really good book, sometimes what sticks with you is the setting and circumstance in which you read it. That's what happened to comedian Hari Kondabolu when he picked up Vijay Prashad's The Karma of Brown Folk. It was, on, it was a summer. I remember it was on a break. And uh, I read it on a bus. I remember I started reading it on a bus. I don't know why I remember this so vividly. I remember reading it on the bus. I was coming from Flushing. I was taking the 17 bus to my parents' place in Jamaica. And I had been holding it for a minute. I'd, I'd bought it who knows how long ago. And I just remember devouring it and just being shocked. It, like, shook the foundations of what I thought 
it was to be an Indian American and all the things that were that were told to me as reality. It, it was uh, it was something I just I remember I just tore through and the whole time I I just I can't I can imagine the look on my face of like page after page of uh, like revelation after revelation. You know, something that I think as an adult, it's it's maybe harder to have, you know, but at that point, like, it, it was amazing. So this just blew your mind. Blew my mind. I do remember when I first read it really vividly, like the way that sometimes your surroundings are kind of stamped into the experience of reading a book. And I took it with me at one of those mornings when I woke up at 6 a.m. as soon as the dorms were unlocked and the alarms went off to the beach and I sat on the picnic table like overlooking the lake there and I smoked a cigarette and read this book while the sun was like coming up and I was like this is incredible and not like anything I've ever read and also it's for me like it's for girls like me when I look back on reading it for the first time it's charged with so much significance like it's the whole thing like the smoking and the picnic table and the pink sky and the lake like it's so it's like so clearly like this is a moment that will change how you think about the world and empower you to become the person that you like it's really big it feels very big but I don't know I mean I I would also say that everything felt big to me at that time in my life even if even if it was big in a bad way or as a teenager, everything was big. I felt everything so intensely, like everything mattered. Um, even when I was acting like it didn't, I was so, I was just like a raw wire all the time. And that's one of the reasons why I love to write about that period of life. It's just so interesting to be so, so full of feeling and so like alive to the world and also so wrong about everything. It's just really a fascinating period. That was author Julie Bunton who told us about the experience of reading Lori Moore's Who Will Run the Frog Hospital. The influence that books have had on our guest writing has been a common theme throughout these episodes, like for illustrator Mari Andrew, who told us about finding Myra Kalman's The Principles of Uncertainty. I didn't think that I had the potential to be a writer because to me a writer was something else. A writer wrote... Moby Dick. A writer didn't write in journals. When I found this book, it was a very freeing moment for me to see that that writing, serious writing, could look different from how I had experienced it in school especially. And so to read this book where this woman's giving equal weight to the death of her husband and to the beauty of a fruit bowl, I realized, wow, this is this is so unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And she just did it. For some guests, the authors they read inspired them to try something new, like Kevin Kwan, author of Crazy Rich Asians, who was greatly influenced by the work of Joan Didion. I think she inspired me to want to be a better writer and to really hone my language and my use of, of words and to really strip it down to the essence of what I was trying to get at. And so interestingly enough, while I was writing nonfiction for my university newspaper and, and sort of experimenting with creative nonfiction inspired by her work, I was also really getting into poetry. And for me, poetry was about the ultimate expression of the economy of language and choosing the most precise words and polishing 
you know, each stanza like it's a diamond until it gets to a point where you have to abandon it. Because as they always say, you know, you poems never finished, only abandoned. Only abandoned. And yeah. uh, so Joan Didion actually influenced your poetry. Absolutely. My poetry is extremely different than anything I write in, <laughs> in fiction. Um, and for a long time I felt it was my truer voice. After I read Raymond Carver, I really wanted to start doing portraits of people. Up until that time, I had just photographed landscapes and inanimate objects. But after reading his story, I was like, I got to start looking at people more. And so I set a project up for myself that I would bring my camera and put it on a tripod and stand on a street corner in downtown Bennington. And I would just wait for people to come up to me. And if they came up and started talking to me, then I would ask them to take their picture. That was Ear Hustle host and artist Nigel Poor. For other guests, the books they selected made them change their perspective on big issues or the way they saw the world. I really think it made me, like, by 10%, a better human person. I just think, like, the the way that addiction and depression were described in that book it was just a way that like reached me really specifically and was a kind of descriptive experience that I hadn't had as much exposure to. Work-wise, it, it just informed me just the, the sheer amount of work that goes into uh, something as great as his book, which, you know, you aspire to. You, but a, as a person, you know, it's painful when you're my age to learn how ignorant you were, even in the case of reading this book, even hours before. Uh, it's painful, and it's also very valuable. I'm black, and I think a lot about race, and I talk a lot about race in my show, and I've covered race for NPR over the course of several years. And I'd never, ever, ever in my life thought about race that way. But since that book, it has totally upended the way that I look at something like race. It's vital to believe that, like, everything can be turned around, you know? I think it's really lazy to think that, like, things have to stay the way they are. And so I love when writing does that. Like, I love when writing suddenly twists and, like, illuminates this whole other set of possibilities that you hadn't thought of. That was comedian Josh Gondelman on Infinite Jest, Jeff Hobbs on There Are No Children Here, Sam Sanders on New People, and Maeve Higgins on Exit West. We've loved making this first slate of episodes and are so thankful to the guests and listeners who have shared their stories with us. We hope you'll catch up on any episodes you've missed and that you'll keep listening for more. But That's Another Story is produced by Katie Ferguson with editing help from Alyssa Martino, Alex Abnos, and Becky Celestina. If you'd like to hear more about the books we mentioned in this week's episode, you can find out more in our show notes. You can also find transcripts of past episodes on LitHub. If you've been enjoying the show, please be sure to rate and review on iTunes. It really helps others discover the program. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If there's a book that changed your life, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at anotherstory@macmillan.com. We'll be back with our next episode in two weeks. I'm Will Schwalbe. Thanks so much for listening.